0: For generations, Butterball has delivered only quality American-grown turkey. They provide products that please patrons while delivering versatility to operators in all segments. But Butterball doesn't stop there. As an organization, they're always looking for ways to empower operators to be at their best. From recipes that inspire culinary creativity to insights and trends that can help drive business decisions, it's all at ButterballFoodService.com. Hey there. Welcome to Takeaway with Sam Okus, a podcast from Nation's Restaurant News. I am Sam Okus, editor-in-chief here at NRN, and this is the show where I give you an all-access pass to the restaurant industry's most influential decision-makers. This week, I am talking with Brandon and Zane Hunt. They are the brothers who co-founded Austin, Texas-based th- Via 313. This Detroit-style pizza shop has expanded to 10 locations in Texas and Utah, and they're, they're growing really on the strength of their high-quality pies and their commitment to top-notch service and hospitality. So much attention has been paid to the fast-casual pizza boom and to the success of the delivery giants in the pandemic, but Via 313 is proving that a premium pizza product and experience are still highly in demand from customers. The brothers joined the podcast to talk about that fact and how it's affected their decision-making in the midst of inflation and supply chain issues. Before I jump into that conversation, remember that there are many other ways you can engage with NRN's award-winning content. Not only can you subscribe to our monthly print edition and daily AM newsletter at nrn.com slash subscribe, But you can also subscribe to NRN's podcast, Extra Serving, where our editors discuss the hot button issues of the day and we share interviews with a wide variety of restaurant personalities. We also recently launched another podcast, First Bite, a daily podcast that shares the top restaurant headlines of each day and goes deep on one particular headline with the help of the NRN editorial team. Be sure to subscribe to Extra Serving and First Bite wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, don't forget that in just over a week, we are going to be in Denver for Create, our live experience bringing together restaurant founders, executives, and leaders for two days of education, networking, and good eats. We've got an incredible speaker lineup this year, including marketing guru Banen Bao, who is going to be keynoting. Plus, top executives from chains like Applebee's, PF Changs, Chipotle, Wendy's, Torchy's Tacos, Capriati's, Smoky Bones, Coffee Bean and Tea Leaf, Duck Donuts, Zaxby's, and many, many more. If you're still on the fence about joining us in Denver, what are you waiting for? Now is your last chance to register for this one-of-a-kind event that will completely transform your attitude about your business. Go to create.nrn.com right now to register. And as a loyal listener of Takeaway, you can register for Create for free. Just input the promo code Takeaway when you're checking out. I will see you in Denver September 19th through 21st jumping now into my interview with via 313 co-founders brandon and zane hunt just for the record the first voice you'll hear the first brother is zane also don't forget to stick around after the interview as i will share my six takeaways from this discussion actionable insights that you can take with you on the go All right, Brandon and Zane Hunt, co-founders of Via 313. Guys, thanks for joining me today. Um, let's start with a quick synopsis of the Via 313 brand. What's the story of this concept and how you guys got it started?
1: Hey, Sam, thanks for having us. I uh, always appreciate talking to you. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, my brother and I, born and raised in Detroit, Michigan, and uh, we grew up eating this pizza. We grew up uh, going to Buddy's uh, in Dearborn. Um and then when we got our driver's licenses, we were able to uh, start driving around other parts of Southeast Michigan. And there at the time, I would say there were maybe five players in that space doing what we now call Detroit style pizza. But as you've heard probably uh, say many times, I mean, really growing up, uh, you just got round pizza or you got square pizza. Well, rectangle. Right. But as we call it square mm-hmm. and um, probably to a degree, took it for granted. Just I mean, we, we knew it was good. But we figured you know, this is pre-internet, right? So you probably figure, well, every other major U.S. market in the U.S. probably serves some variation of this kind of pizza. And it took me having a job where I had to travel a lot for work to realize, no, no, what we actually have in Detroit is unique to Detroit, mm-hmm. especially at the time we're talking about, like mid, mid to late '90s. And um, what we had was special and unique. And um, when I moved down to Austin in 2009. Uh, obviously realized pretty quickly that that type of pizza didn't exist, uh, in the, in, in Austin. And we saw, we put a, I reached out to Brandon and we put together a plan, um, had him move down about a year later and we worked on the recipes, we worked on the business plan, financial plan. And the idea is to just take something that we know and love from growing up and serve it to the masses to get it in as many people's mouths as possible, spread the good gospel of Detroit. And, you know, I think there's, times where uh Detroit can be a double-edged sword right you there's some negative connotation that maybe conjures up for some people about Detroit it's also a lot of positive too and we want to be part of that positive so I mean we're Brandon and I are Detroiters through and through we're proud of where we're from proud of our state we're proud of our city we're proud of the food that comes out of there and pizza is just a piece of it so now it's crazy to think here we are um, pretty much almost 11 years after we started via 313 and we've got 10 locations and, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll dive into how that's happened. But to see that style of pizza that really nobody was calling Detroit style pizza, especially outside of Detroit, to see it blowing up the way it has, to see national pizza chains like Pizza Hut, Little Caesars, uh, to a lesser degree, you see jets popping up everywhere, they're calling themselves Detroit style pizza too. I mean, it's amazing. I mean, in and to just think that we've been um, maybe not at the forefront of it, but we're certainly part of the second wave of that. I mean, because I, I say the first wave would be like Buddies and Cloverleaf and, uh, you know, Shields. And I'm, there's others I'm, I'm drawing a blank on right Louis. now. But yeah, Louis. Louis of course. Can't forget <laughs> Louis. Louis is amazing. Uh, but, there, you know, I would consider that first wave. So Sam, we're talking like 1940s into the 1950s. And then there's a big blank spot until the late, you know, 2007, 8, 9, 10 in that area when the, the excuse me, the um, sales started to gain more traction, mm-hmm. uh, not just in Detroit, but also nationally. And and so we're part of that second wave, I think. I, I, I feel pretty confident saying that. And maybe, who knows, maybe we're inspiring people behind us, too. And there's like a third wave. Or maybe we're part of that. I don't know.
0: I, I think you must be because, I mean, just yesterday I saw an ad for Pizza Hut's new uh, Detroit-style pizza I mean, really, before you guys, pizza, the Detroit style pizza wasn't really a, a, a nationwide household name like it's become. Um, and it does seem like suddenly it's a trend. Right. So when you see Pizza Hut doing it now, Little Caesars, I think maybe to some degree, you could argue they've earned the right because they're out of Detroit. Um, but when big chains start to do this, you know, it's kind of taken off now. I do want to clarify, though. This is not just a shape of pizza, right? So what is Detroit style pizza? For all those wondering who haven't had it, what's the deal with Detroit style? What separates it from other styles?
1: Yeah, so for you, you pizza nerds out there that are listening or watching, I mean, I think it has its roots in what we would consider Sicilian pizza, which we saw, you know, post-World War II in New York. And then for whatever reason, those some of those Sicilian folks moved to Detroit probably to work in automobile factories is my guess um the 1940s 1950s and next thing you know they're taking that sicilian recipe that they used to make in big sheet pans they started making making them in smaller we would call them like oil drip pans or parts pans have higher edges like an inch and a half to two inches on the edge of um of height and then it allows us to put cheese right to the edge so instead of having a corner cone around it that is just bread um and ours is cheese and bread right so you're going to get that It's almost like uh, I never thought about this growing up, but it it is kind of like having a grilled cheese, like the cheese kind of melts off the out of the sandwich and onto the pan and caramelizes. It's the same idea. There's probably a technical term for that. Right. But um, I mean, that's it. It's it's Sicilian pizza made in a different kind of pan. The cheese blends different. I mean, you're seeing different variations of the cheese blends um, now, depending on what's available to you in certain markets. But the origins of it was was 100% Wisconsin brick cheese.
0: Mm.
1: And, you know, when you get outside the Midwest, it, it gets difficult and challenging and expensive to get that cheese. So you see mm. a lot of that mostly uh, more more in the Midwest, I'd say. So, yeah, there's, Sicilian pizza, a variation of
0: Sicilian pizza, basically. There's a crust thing too, right? That, that the crust itself is
1: chewier? Is that right? Well, I... It has a crispiness to the bottom, of course. Okay. B- making a pan pizza, you're going to have that crispy bottom. You're going to have crispy edges. Uh, but yeah, it certain it shouldn't be tough. And of course, that that comes down to baking at the right temperature, using the right flours. The um, hydration point of the of the of the dough matters too. I, I think sometimes you know Brandon and I we like to look at pictures online of everybody making their pizzas, and sometimes I see things that are like 100% hydration. That's a flour to water ratio, right? And you see just wild-looking webbing when you cut a pizza open. and You see this really airy uh, dough. Believe it or not, uh, a wetter dough does create a lot of airiness, but can also be harder on the mouth. The mouth feel isn't the same. So we're after, we're finding this. We're after this balance of mouthfeel cheese to crust ratio. I mean, you know, we were, we were, we were just out at restaurantology last week and we, we ran into you, Sam, right. And uh, mm-hmm. we were, we were talking about um, to somebody who was actually a cookie maker and he was just nerding out with us about uh, chocolate chip to dough rest, uh, ratios, right. It's the same thing <laughs> as pizza. It's cheese to crust to sauce. So something that we're really sensitive to, I mean, all good food is, is balanced and we think that Detroit South pizza has great balance. So, yeah. I mean, they, I don't know, that's probably a long-winded answer to your question, but I think I think it needs to be crispy on the bottom, crispy on the sides. And, and I guess it is chewy to a degree, you know?
0: Yeah, P- pizza nerds indeed. I, you can nerd <laughs> yeah. out on this stuff for sure, and I know you guys are there. So uh, th- this concept of Detroit, um, it, what's so interesting is I would say, besides outside of barbecue, pizza is the only thing where the city says something, right? I mean, of course, you have Chicago style, you have New York style, I guess to some degree, well, you have New Haven style. You can get mm-hmm. into, of course, Italian. Um, the The place of this matters. You guys are of Detroit. You are passionate about Detroit, um, proud of the city. How else do you bring Detroit into this brand? How else do you represent? And what? Why is a place so much tied up into the branding of a thing?
2: I think. I think when when we started doing the restaurant we wanted it to feel like Detroit but you know we always kid like not planet Hollywood right like you could come in and hang a bunch of cars off the ceiling and have you know uh hubcaps laying around and <laughs> you know all these easy layups and we, we took more like a subtle approach having um this like post-war kind of uh era like vibe in there so like the 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 menu is actually like a little handbook uh, like you'd feel see in a shop and the host stand is a an old automobile park cabinet uh just like little touches that you could probably walk right by a lot of little things and not even notice what it was the lights are old air filters um so just just very little touches that don't beat you over the head but still make you feel like you're in a little bit of a maybe a little bit of a shop you know Mm -hmm. vibes to it so and then now with you know partnering up with savory like I said we'll get into that but they've they've really added a whole nother layer to the to the dining experience by kind of making it way more grand uh, a a cleaned up representation of it so Mm -hmm. it's just uh, it's funny how it's morphed into phase two of the restaurant Mm -hmm. and now we're working on phase three (laughs)
0: Sure. Sure. Yeah, we, we were, we were, as you mentioned, Zane, we were out in Salt Lake city last week together at restaurantology put on by savory fund. And um, you guys hosted an event at your location out there in Lehigh. And um, it's just interesting because it's like Detroit and Lehigh, probably couldn't be too much different, um, you know, as far as just cities like. But you guys give a taste of Detroit in a place like Lehigh. You could do it in any city in America, which I find really interesting. Let's talk about the fact that this is not a delivery concept i mean this is a experience you guys have created a full service pizza experience we've talked so much about pizza delivery for the last couple of years of course in the pandemic you saw Domino's and papa john's doing 30 comps i mean it was just insane how much pizza delivery was kind of the thing you guys went with another tack which was to go with that experience that full service experience why was that something that was important to you because i mean you mentioned a lot of the concepts you mentioned i mean like jets for example that is not a in-store experience. That is very much a pickup and delivery experience. So I'm assuming the Detroit piece of this, it wasn't necessary to making it full service. What was it about this concept that you felt should be that dine-in, more, more of a dine-in experience?
1: Yeah, I mean, for, for I think for both of us, I'll speak for both of us on this is, I, when I look back on, on the path that we've uh, been down to get to where we're at, I want to say like, maybe 2008 or 2000. So yeah, 2008 or 2009. Well, maybe 2009. Let's 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 go with that because that's when I moved to Austin. Uh, we started throwing around the idea right after I moved down there to uh, of opening a pizzeria, right, which became via three and three. But at the time, we were going to uh, the International Pizza Expo in Las Vegas. This is in 2009. And I would say damn near 80%, 90% of the people we ran into that were talking about opening pizzerias, it was it was very focused on fast casual at that time. Yeah. So everybody was at that time was trying to be first to market top of mind for the Chipotle of pizza or the, you know, of Subway or whatever. But it would yeah. that, that that style. Right. You know, you know, there's a handful of players in that space, even now in 2022. Right. Mm hmm. Uh that didn't interest us in the least. Now, not to begin with, we're both hospitality driven. And we love the idea of, of um almost like a fine dining type of approach, but in with doing it in a casual way with pizza. So that was the origins. Like we had early discussions about doing something like that. So that had to be a full service restaurant. So imagine, if you will, like We're in Las Vegas and everybody we're running into is talking about doing these fast, casual things. And Brandon and I are looking at each other going, man, that that's like totally the other end of the spectrum from what we're Mm -hmm. thinking about. Mm -hmm. This is one of those moments where you're zigging while everybody's zagging. And there is some risk associated with that, but there's risk associated with any of these things that we're talking about. Yeah. And we felt that that was probably the best representation of what we want to offer to a customer Mm is not just really good food. But also really good service. And Brandon is somebody who uh, has been in the restaurant industry his his whole life, as opposed to me. I've come and I've come and gone out of it with different other careers, right? He is certainly a hospitality focused person, so it makes perfect sense that we approach via three one three from a taking care of people, butts in seats, taking care of people as much as possible. So. You know, here we are 13 years later from the original idea, and we've seen these fast casual things rise. A few have dropped off. There's still a couple of players in that space. We had COVID happen. So you've got a lot of people pivoting to just uh, carry out or delivery models during COVID. We had to as well. We had to make an adjustment, but we could not wait to get our dining rooms back open to take care of people because I feel like that's when we're at our best, right? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, we were, somebody asked us once, you know, what, um, what inspired us to do full service other than having a passion for hospitality, who were the players in that space that we took, um, you know, like some positive momentum from, and it's easy, it's Buddies, it's, it's Lou Malnati's in Chicago, Mm -hmm. And, and, and they're in Arizona too, and then you've got, you've got Grimaldi's doing, I think, amazing work as they expand, and I know they're real selective about where they go but we've never seen a drop off in quality in anything they do. And they're still very hospitality driven. So those are the, those are the players that we look at and go that that's what we want to be. We want to emulate that type of hospitality, that type of service, maybe even do it better. I'm not, I'm not judging. I mean, I, I just think we could always do better. So yeah. anyway, that's my long winded answer. I'll hang up and let Brandon know. <laughs> answer that too.
2: <laughs> I just, the idea was, if our pizza's gonna be good or not, that's very subjective. That's somebody's opinion. We, we can't argue with how they feel, but we can make sure that we blow you away with service at the very least. You know, Like I said, we went through this fast casual mod pizza, blaze pizza, and still going through it. It's not like it's over, but that's what everybody was focused on. We were trying to do this, and now we're dealing with third-party delivery, ghost kitchens, And to me, again, I think there's a place for all this stuff. But um, taking care of people will never go out of business. It'll never go out of style. Uh, In fact, I wish we had a hotel with a pizza place in it. So we had a whole day to take care of people instead of an (laughs) hour. Uh, It's just it it just that will always win. So we just we're doubling down on on service and 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 taking care of people while everybody else is, I don't know, it, it almost gets cold. You Mm -hmm. know, it's 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 such a cold dinner. I mean, we're to the point now where they just drop the food off on my door and don't even say hi to me. You know, it's crazy.
0: (laughs) Well, you know, uh, Brandon, I I don't think a pizza hotel exists yet. So if you do need a new business idea, (laughs) I think Via 313 can be uh, among the first. Uh, But, you know, two things I think of, too, with what you guys are doing is it affords you bar service where um, I think some fast casual players would do it, but, you know, limited bar service. Um, so you've got that going for you, which is a whole other experience in itself. But also, I mean, I've had some via three and three pies with prosciutto and, you know, way higher quality ingredients than I'm ever going to get at the fast casual spot. So tell me about sort of the investment in this as just quality flavors, quality experience. I mean, you're afforded a lot more creativity and innovation by doing this model too, right?
2: Yeah, I think so. Um, I mean, we knew what we wanted. You know that pizza in particular. We were eating at Tony's uh, pizza place in, in North Beach, uh, Tony Gimignani's place, and he made that pizza for us. And we were we were just blown away by the layers of. You know, we grew up. We're just pepperoni guys. We don't we don't stray too far from cheese or pepperoni. And uh, and you got Tony making us this pizza that you know, gorgonzola, fig preserves, prosciutto with a balsamic glaze. These are flavors I've never had on a pizza before. Uh, but obviously it's a little more standard in California now with California kitchen, pizza kitchen. But uh, we asked him if we could use that on our, uh, as a special, if we paid homage to him and, you know, thankfully he let us cause that's, that's our second bestseller uh, behind the double pepperoni uh, Detroiter. <laughs> but uh, yeah. It allows us to have some, some fun. And, but I mean, we really do try to keep it to the roots, meat, cheese, onions, pepper. <laughs> I mean, mostly tried and true. Mm-hmm.
0: Now um, let's talk about this idea of of growing the concept. So as you've alluded to, you guys got an investment from savory a couple of years ago um, and it's already taking you to 10 locations. Um, but I imagine, too, the growth is a little bit different for you than, of course, some of these fast casual brands, because they're going to be looking for maybe a smaller box than what you guys are looking for. So let's just start with the Savory Investment, um, why this is a direction that you guys have gone and what kind of doors it's unlocked. But then also as a follow up, like, what are you looking for as you grow? Because I imagine it has to be a little bit more involved than if you guys were running a QSR or fast casual concept.
1: That long pause means, Brandy, you can take that if you want. <laughs> uh, I just talked. <laughs>
0: I can edit that later. <laughs> yeah, right. I, and I thought it was going to be the brother wavelength. I mean, I thought you guys would just communicate to each other instead of. Sometimes long we'll pause, like nod, but,
1: like we'll look yeah. at each other and be like, yeah, you want to take that? You know, <laughs> yeah.
0: that but, works. You know, listen, we got
2: to five locations in uh, nine years and we were kind of stagnant for, for those last couple of years trying to figure out what we wanted to do. And we just weren't comfortable. I mean, this is already bigger than anything we've ever been involved with. Uh, The biggest thing I ever managed was a a restaurant or bar that was doing 3 million. And you got a restaurant group now doing close to 12 to 15 million. So it was a little bit outside our wheelhouse. Uh, And then we started talking about long-term, what's our goals? what, uh, What do we want our futures to look like? And we just kept going like, it just felt like we'd be doing ourselves a disservice, not being the leader of Detroit style pizza. And by leader, I just mean growth. Uh, it's a huge wide open space in, in Southeast uh, America where the people are making tacos and they're making barbecue and there's not a ton of great pizza. Uh, I think there's getting to be now, but um, you know, 11 years ago, there wasn't, it was pretty, pretty chill. So it just seemed like a great opportunity and we needed to bring on a partner that could help us do that. That knows how to build a team that knows how to scale, to know what to look for. Uh, You know, we could say we're experts in Austin, but it pretty much ended there. (laughs) You know, I don't know Mm -hmm. what good sites are in Kansas city and, and Phoenix and Dallas. So uh, to bring on that help and, and to learn from a team like savory, it's, it's just been crazy uh, helpful for us. Uh, Honestly, it's a lot of shutting up and listening Uh, When we're with them, Mm because, you know, you got these people that are each person's the best at what they do in their field. And it's nice to not have to wear a thousand hats anymore.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So tell me about the locations you're looking for. I mean, I I imagine you're looking for bigger spaces can facilitate that hospitality you're looking for, have a bar space.
2: Well, we like we like to be flexible. I mean, we started as a food truck, so we can do that if, if need be and we're up to 5000 square feet and anything in between so i think that's another thing that makes us kind of attractive from an investment or growth standpoint is we're pretty flexible we we got stores as small as 2700 and and again as big as 5000 and um and they they perform they 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 do well so um i think it's for us it's best to just keep, keep an open mind and where we go and build the restaurant around the space that that we're given. Mm-hmm. But it's almost like location is more more important to us than than the actual building itself mm-hmm.
1: yeah think and I think to to piggyback on what he said is is there's an amazing opportunity for people that want to you know there's a lot of second and third generation uh, large footprint spots becoming available around the country, certainly in key markets coming out of covid we we saw a contraction in the restaurant industry especially full service during COVID.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, uh, I mean, like, for instance, like Fuddruckers, I mean, these are massive sites, uh, six, seven, 8,000 square feet. Sometimes they go out of business. It's probably too large for any one restaurant to take over, but a group like Savory could come in, take it over and split it into two. And you could do a, a crack shack on one and a via on like you saw in Lehigh. Mm-hmm. Uh, now that wasn't, that was a ground up build, but the same idea, right? So. I just think, like Brandon said, there's a lot of, we can be nimble and flexible, and I and I think you know we're just going to keep an open mind as we look at new markets. We can we can go into a lot of different spaces, but mm-hmm. location matters more than anything, right? It's the old adage: location, location, location,
0: for sure. And Brandon, you mentioned some cities: Phoenix, Kansas City, Dallas. I know you guys are kind of looking all around, sort of the West for for those spots. Uh, similarly, uh, you know the, the contrast between what you guys are doing, and what a fast casual is doing. I imagine you're not looking to fill a market with. 20 locations all around a city. I mean, you're looking for more lifestyle centers where you guys can kind of go in and become sort of the central pizza place. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's, I think we told Andrew
2: less, less like Starbucks and more like Texas roadhouse, Mm -hmm. you know, you pop three or four in a city and, and, and get out. Uh, you gotta do enough to make it worthwhile to open up the supply chain and and build a team build a bench there that for us, that's, you know, five to six locations actually. And then, and then, uh, kind of step back and then you build that circle and you try to, you know, if you need be grow it out, but um, you know, the the goal is to get to 30 or 40
0: locations. Mm -hmm. All right. So talking about the last couple of years and the challenges that have popped up for the restaurant industry, I have to imagine they're heightened for you guys, because if you talk about labor, well, you guys have, a higher need for labor, probably, because you have weight staff and you have higher quality products that you need more um, people with a, that kind of skill set who can work for you. I imagine supply chain, you have a lot different uh, SKUs than maybe some of the fast casuals have. And so maybe there's issues there with supply, inflation. I mean, all these things, You, this is as a higher quality concept, you're going to have maybe a lot harder of a time through some of these challenges than maybe some of the delivery guys, the fast casual guys. So, how do you conquer those challenges? I guess let's start with labor. I mean, how much of an issue has that really been for what you guys are trying to accomplish?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's it's challenge. We go through the same thing everybody else is. You you uh, you set up ten interviews, five show up, and you hope to make a, a, a solid hire or two. And and that's not a shot at anybody out there. That's just uh, everybody has choices right now. It's it's, it's a I guess a buyer's market, if you will, (laughs) it's, you know, employees have, they can kind of figure out where they want to go. And if it sucks, they can just go on to the next place and find the right fit for them. And I think that's good. It's, I think it's healthy to have that push and pull relationship. I think the businesses honestly, but have had it too good for a long time. And maybe this is kind of going against the grain a little bit, but Mm -hmm. Um, it's healthy it creates dialogue it open, opens up more opportunity for everyone it makes us all get better on our end so again I, I think it's a healthy relationship but it's not ideal uh we of course we wish we could just open a store and have 100 people show up and all kill it but mm-hmm. again it makes us want to get better it makes us want to provide a better place for people to want to stay so i think it's a good win for everyone overall though
0: mm-hmm and then for wow. all these other things like inflation, I mean, a cost of things I uh, imagine alone must be so much higher than so many other pizza concepts. So how do you, how do you get through? Yeah. Again, you know, the last thing we wanted to be was a value play. Mm-hmm. So um,
2: to have that flexibility, you know, it's harder for little Caesars to go from five to six to six to seven that there's a microscope on that. Uh I honestly don't know what a cheese pizza is right now. <laughs> Cause you know, it's, it, we've only had to raise the prices twice in 10 years. Um, so, you know, we, we, we've always kept a pretty tight, you know, we weigh every pizza to, to the gram. So we know what, what our cost is on everything. Um, so I just think, I don't know. I'm, I'm drifting here. I'm rambling.
0: <laughs> Zane anything else to add for how you guys yeah, no. get through the cost issues, inflation, supply chain?
1: No, I mean I I would everything Brandon said is 100% right and I'd like to add as well. We feel really fortunate that we that we are partnered with um a group like Savory because they have people that I mean, like like Miriam Chaney. I mean she's she's a supply chain expert. Mm-hmm. And we we are able to work with her when needed, you know, every day if needed. And uh, as we scale outside of Austin and we go into new markets, we we need more people on our side to help us get there. So we're extremely grateful that we've got people like Miriam and, uh, you know, real estate, like all these things. Just like, like Brandon said earlier, it's just all these different disciplines and we've got them on our team. It's yeah. it's amazing. So. I feel really fortunate. I, I think if it were just the two of us trying to navigate all these changes in Austin specifically, we, we'd be okay. We would do okay. But uh, we're not experts in that stuff, right? We, we knew enough, we know enough to keep our doors open and, and whatnot. But like he said, we've only, we've only raised our prices twice in 10 years. And it's interesting. Like, I, I think when we started out, we were probably at the, in my opinion, we were at the very high end of what people were willing to tolerate to spend on a, on a pizza. Mm-hmm. I, I, I believe that at the time, I think. And of course we'd have people every now and then that would complain and think to a degree that's okay. You know, as mm-hmm. long as not everybody's complaining, that's a different discussion. Um, but the industry has, has gotten more and more and more expensive food across the board Our ours too. I mean, cheese and meats have gotten really expensive. It's never been cheap. It's gotten really expensive. And, uh, you know, I don't I don't think we're at the very high end of what what we could charge right now. Probably we're, we're, we could probably do it again if we wanted to. I, we'd rather not. Mm-hmm. But
2: uh, yeah, I mean, the biggest you got to make a decision, right? Are you going to cut quality? Right. You know, find different cheeses, find different meats. And are you going to serve something that you're proud of and just charge what what exactly you what what you need to get out of it and, and live in, and stand by it? And that's we've made that decision that. We're going to still use the same cheese, the same sauce, the same meats that we use, or we're still going to cut the vegetables every day. Um, and we're just going to charge what we have to to do business. And, you know, we were told early on by Big Dave, uh, rest in peace, Big Dave told us, if people aren't complaining about your prices, then you're probably too cheap. So that's something we've always kind of kind of owned is like, yeah, it it, it, it isn't for everyone one you know that's why there is a little caesar so that's why there is mod pizza because we, we can't try to please everyone but we can try to serve the best pizza that we're the most proud of
1: mm-hmm. i mean that's another and to, to piggyback on what he said there too i mean uh, i think it might have been big dave brandon that also told us or maybe it was tony jimignani i don't know this is going way back but like if we're going to go out of business it, it won't be because we're not serving the best pizza we can possibly serve it'll be mm-hmm. something else right so we had to put our best foot forward right from the start. And you know, I don't, not to get into the details of what we do or like of of what the brands are that we we partner with and use, but we knew what kind of cheese we wanted. We knew what kind of pepperonis we wanted. We knew what kind of flour we were going to use. Really early on in in building and establishing the brand, and we have not gotten away from those partnerships. We continue to use those same ingredients, those same companies that we work with for it's going on 11 years, and. You know, I'm sure the three of us have seen anybody listening have things that they grew up eating in their hometown. We could focus on pizza specifically here. And some maybe sometimes these pizzerias they they scale or they expand outside their home market and it can be really good and like the quality is still really high. And then eventually you're like, man, it doesn't taste the same as it used to. Yeah, they're cutting corners somewhere. You know, there's something's off and that trust is broke at that point because it's not scratching that itch in your brain. Right. Yeah. And so that's something that we're highly, highly sensitive to. I mean, as sensitive as anybody, probably. I mean, I, I can't, as long as Brandon and I are involved in this business, <laughs> you know, and savory too, because I'm sure they feel the same way. Uh, those things can't change. They, they absolutely yeah. cannot change. Could they change yeah. uh, 10 years from now when somebody else maybe owns the company? I, that's possible if that happens, but it, not as long as we're around. I mean that that every time you eat a V313 pizza, it should take you back to the first time you had it.
0: Mm,
1: that mm. it should just it should just be a spark and you just oh man, th- there's that taste again. It's the cheese, it's the sauce. Yeah, it's
2: the cheese. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah.
1: It, but it anyway, has to be there.
2: I do want to throw like a, a little tidbit of something that we've been doing, and it's been working really well when you when you get into um, food costs. Mm -hmm. honestly we email the suppliers direct we don't we don't we won't talk necessarily right to u.s foods or cisco we'll email the farm directly and be like yeah listen you know i know you guys are trying to run a business you're up against it just like us is there anything you guys can do we've been a loyal customer for 11 years with you guys is there anything you can do just get us through these next couple months or a year whatever and honestly, just being like appreciative and and thankful and, and acknowledging the partnerships that you've had, they backed down quite a bit on their pricing for us. Just being open and genuine about how tight things are, and everybody's going through the same thing. So I think that's the right. that's the saving grace is we're not the only ones trying to raise our prices right now. Everybody is, mm-hmm. and, uh, and and everybody's just trying to get through it. So I think it, it helps a
0: little bit when everybody's kind of in the same boat, mm-hmm. right. With all of this considered, what do you guys feel like you've learned about efficiency? Because, of course, the last couple of years, global pandemic, uh, inflation, labor, I mean, with all of these challenges, the solutions have tended to lead to more efficient businesses, in my opinion, just because everybody's figured out these creative solutions that they've been able to figure out how not to cut corners or anything like that because they've been able to implement new technologies or whatever it is. So what has that been for you guys? How have you made the via three, one, three business more efficient? Man, I hate the QR code. So I just want to acknowledge that. Can <laughs> we just acknowledge. Let's just get that out there now. Yeah.
2: <laughs> okay. If that thing could never show up again, I'd be so happy. But anyways, to answer your question, uh, <laughs> you know, we were, that was something that was kind of top of mind from us uh, early on is, you know, we had a old, um, archaic system i won't i won't i won't poo poo them but we had a very <laughs> old pos system that's quickly gone out of date and uh and we went to go eat one night at a ramen restaurant and i remember ordering edamame and it showed up on the table while my girlfriend was still asking questions and i was like wait a minute what just happened and they said well no I, when i'm at the table you know again this was only six years ago that this happened it feels like a long time ago uh, six years ago it was a mind blowing to have somebody standing at your table, punching in an order on a, on a little screen and it fired to the kitchen while they're still standing there. I mean, God, within a month or two, we, we ripped that POS system out and put that system in. And, and, you know, again, toast has been such a great partner for us. Um, I feel like they're always on the cutting edge and we're, we're almost behind them trying to keep up with all the new stuff that they're launching. Um, and I don't get paid by toast. That's just sin- sincerely how I feel. <laughs> I, I mean, God, if you're not paying attention, toast will roll out three or four things and and you, it's hard to keep up with all the great technology. But so anyways, I think that's been kind of top of mind from the get go. Uh, I feel like it just made everybody else kind of COVID made everybody else kind of like, Oh, we got to get a little more efficient. The thing that has been surprising for me though, is how resilient or, how uh, considerate, I guess, customers can be. You know, we ripped we ripped the whole dining room, front end of the dining room out and put tables for pickup and, and refrigerators in the dining room. And we were making salads in the dining room and and customers just didn't care. They just wanted pizza. They, they just wanted their pizza and they wanted it now as fast as possible. So I guess how forgiving the customer has been for the last two or three years on just like it's not crazy to have somebody making a salad in the middle of the dining room or right. Yeah. Know,
1: they just want it and whatever yeah, it mean, takes to get it done. Dude. I mean, that, that's like, to me is the very essence of being like a neighborhood partner, a community mm. partner. You know, we feel like we have a responsibility to feed, to feed our, um, our neighborhoods that we're in, And during COVID, when things were really uncomfortable and people were scared to death about everything, rightfully so, especially in the early days, who knew? what was going on. I mean, to have something comfortable and familiar like pizza, I don't know about you guys, but I was leaning hard on that stuff myself. I mean, so it's like we have a responsibility and I, they're very, the customers are very, very flexible and very understanding to Brandon's point, as long as we're upholding our end of the bargain too.
0: Yeah. So last question for you guys you've really helped. I mean, I think usher in, I think Zane, you said this is kind of like the third wave of, of uh, Detroit style pizza. You guys have really helped to put this on the map. So you've accomplished that, but what is your ultimate goal for this brand? What do you hope to have accomplished when all is said and done?
2: For me, I, I just want, when you think of Detroit style pizza, I want you to think of via three, one, three. Yeah. And, and you know, it's, it's the best, it, it, this is my <laughs> ego talking, but it's the best when I see like a Detroit style pizza place open up in, uh in one of our neighborhoods and people compare it to Via 313, like we're the bar or something like that, that cracks me up. Like there's so much space for so much pizza to be compared, even compared to anything is it, so flattering. But yeah, I just, when you think of Via 313 or pizza or Detroit style pizza, I want you to think of Via 313. Uh, that, that's, I don't know why that's important to me, but that's, that is. That's just being honest.
0: Yeah. Uh, Zane, anything to add?
1: No, I want the same thing. I mean, it, ego or not, I, I want, uh, I want people to think. You know, when they have Detroit, I and mean, they could use us as the bar if they want. I mean, there's so many different variations. So much better
2: city. ones out there that they could be comparing it to. But
1: yeah. <laughs> well, I. Yeah. It's movie. funny because this new, there's a, there's a, like I mentioned earlier, there's a, there's definitely a crop of pizza makers coming up from behind us mm-hmm. that don't have any ties to Detroit or Michigan. And they may maybe have never even been to Detroit and had any of those original places. Maybe they just had us or they had a place in New York or a place in California or something, but whatever it is, they feel they're turned on by it. They're motivated and they, they go after it. I mean, they're, and uh, to think that we are, you know, that they're, they're, you, they, they cite us as it's just, it's super flattering. I don't know. It's funny. I mean, even though we've yeah. been at this for 10 years, it's feels like things have moved on one hand really slow because it's been a slow path to get to where we're at, but also the industry, the, the pizza industry has just exploded in, the, in those 10 years as well.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's gotten really artisan and Detroit style pizza is one of the segments that's gotten artisan. I think, so, you know, if, if people to answer your question, I guess is, it would be amazing to, to be, um, on the tip of somebody's tongue when they think of Detroit style mm-hmm. pizza. I mean, hopefully we're in enough markets, uh, one day soon that we can share what we, what we love with, with a lot more people. I mean, not just Austin or not just Texas, you know,
2: right. to
1: be in different markets. I mean, that that's really what we're after. I just don't think that I don't know where this ends in terms of like, what, how
0: far can this go? I I don't know. Brandon, Zane, thanks guys for joining me today. I appreciate it. Thanks, Sam. Thank you, Sam. That was my interview with Via 313 co-founders Brandon and Zane Hunt. So what should you learn from this interview? Here are my six takeaways. My first takeaway is that subtle touches can really help you root your concept in a place. So, of course, Via 313 is a Detroit-style pizza company, pizza being one of these uh, food categories where place kind of means something, but Brandon was talking about how they didn't want to hit their customers over the head with that Detroit vibe. They didn't want to fill it with uh, automobile memorabilia, Ford signs, things like that. Instead, they did it with subtle touches. They did it with the host stand, which is uh, automobile Cab, parts cabinet, with their uh, lights, which are old air filters. These kinds of things don't scream Detroit, but they're nice little subtle touches that I think add up to a an experience that customers feel the ambiance, the essence of Detroit, if you will, without it being overly done and overly loud in their face. My second takeaway is that zigging where others zag will really help you carve out a corner of the marketplace. Via three one three came up, you know, over a decade ago. And when the t- when they came up at that time, if you remember, turn of you know two thousand ten, fast casual pizza was everywhere. That was where it exploded out of the gates. Mod Pizza, Blaze Pizza, and a host of other competitors were racing to become the so called Chipotle of pizza. And that's where that's the environment that VIA 313 came out of, but Brandon and Zane decided that's not what they wanted. They were more committed to the other end of the spectrum. They wanted to be full service, high quality, high hospitality, a premium experience. And that's what they did, and it's worked out really, really well for them. When you think about full-service pizza, that market is way less crowded than QSR and fast-casual pizza. So Via313 is in this great position to capitalize on all of this white space and all of this opportunity where customers want a full-service pizza experience my third takeaway is that taking care of people will never go out of business that's a direct quote from brandon that i really enjoyed because again it goes back to that hospitality that they're trying to uh that they're trying to really leverage at via 313 he said that you know customers they their their opinions on the food it's subjective people have different tastes and ideas about what the food should taste like But you can, as a restaurant operator, you can really control that great experience. So whereas the quality of the food, you can give them great quality, but everybody's going to taste it differently, that experience and that service, you can really hit them over the head with that, really control that experience in a way that isn't so subjective. It's something that everybody can find that they're being taken care of. And that's really important at Via 313, and it should be important at your business as well, no matter the category. Category you're in, take care of people because people always want that. My fourth takeaway is this flexibility in your footprint is key to getting the best real estate. So what's so interesting about via 313 is that even though they are a full service concept, they do have these 5,000 square foot boxes. Now they started in a food truck. So they were able to, they were able to create these really high quality pies, even out of a truck. And so they are able to be nimble and flexible now as they look for real estate in new markets. That's key because you clearly want the best real estate you can get. You want to be in a a position to capture the attention of the customers in that market. And if it's a smaller footprint, they can do that. But if it's a bigger footprint, they would prefer that. So what does that mean for you? How can you make your own operation flexible so that your footprint can adjust to whatever real estate is going to be available to you? My fifth takeaway is that if people are not complaining about your prices, you're probably too cheap. Again, that's another direct quote from the hunts and it's a motto that they live by. And I think it's really fascinating to think about, you know, their, their pizzas are not cheap. They do have a higher price point than a lot of other pizza concepts, but people, their customers are willing to spend the money for that quality of pizza And it's important to Via 313 and the Hunts that they don't cut corners, that they prioritize quality, and they're going to have to pay whatever they have to to get that quality. So in this day and age with inflation and costs are going up, they have had to adjust just like every other restaurant company. But as they say, their customers, they're not complaining because they're willing to pay for that pizza. So thinking about this as far as priorities, Prioritize the quality no matter the cost. Don't cut corners because guests will go with you to a point. And again, if they're not complaining, then, well, you might be too cheap. But at the very least, maybe you're at a good price point. My sixth and final takeaway is that you should go straight to your suppliers if you need help with costs. Um, You know, you've maybe figured this out by now. Of course, over the last year or two, this has been an incredible struggle for all restaurants and dealing with costs and finding the right supply. But instead of going, your to distri- going to your distributor, consider just going straight to the supplier because we're all humans. And if you have a conversation with them, explain what's going on and talk to them about what they can do. As Brandon and Zane talked about, that has worked for them and it's helped them to really work through some of the struggles that they've gone through. Think about that for yourself as we continue to move through this, this period of inflation and of higher costs. How can you work with your suppliers to, to to find a situation where you're both happy and that you're not paying too much and the supplier can still work with you on whatever you need them to. Those are all my takeaways for today. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please remember to subscribe to Takeaway wherever you listen to podcasts and to leave your feedback. You can also email me at sam.ocus at Thanks again, and we'll talk to you next week.